The reading can be found on page 665 of the Church Bibles. Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first crops of all your crops. First fruits. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Our second reading comes from James, chapter 3, which you'll find on page 1268, if you grab the Bible out of the foyer. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. 
Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? It's the fight of the century today. McGregor versus Mayweather. A boxing fight. Mayweather, boxing champion coming out of retirement, to take on McGregor, who just four years ago was unemployed in his home country of Ireland, but is the champion or of something called the ultimate fighting... Starts with C. Championship, perhaps? He's never actually fought a professional boxing match in his life. But the media has drummed it up. And today, in Las Vegas, live on your TV screens, if you fork out the money, you can see the fight of the century. But what about the other fights that happen? McGregor versus McGregor. Not in Las Vegas, but in the house up there. What about the fights at your house? In your church? In your workplace? Your school? Or over your back fence. We all experience fights, don't we? Each one of us here has been involved in some sort of conflict or is involved in some sort of conflict, perhaps with someone in the room right now. How do we respond Christianly to conflict? How can we be a peacemaker in the midst of conflict? Or is it always just the other person's fault? In our passage today, James is addressing this very issue and his readers have plenty of fights. And he contrasts two wisdoms and he calls on them to repent. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you might help us this morning for we experienced conflict and we want to know how to be your people and to seek peace. We ask for your mercy to be able to repent. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? I'll be having a gathering here after the service over morning tea uh, for those, those who are wise and understanding among you. And I'll be interested to see uh, who turns up. You can grab your coffee first if you like, that'd be wise, I think, and then come and join us here if you think you're amongst those who are wise and understanding. How would you know if you're one of them? How would it show 
Would it show by you being clever and insightful and well-educated with many degrees so that you can make smart decisions and wise investments? Or would it show by you having a, an inner philosophy of life that shows by your inner peace, like in Buddhism? No. Do you see what verse 13 says? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Here is a faith that works. Wisdom shown by a good life, by good works. You see, what is wisdom? It is not cleverness that leads to smart decisions. It is not a philosophy that leads to inner peace. It is understanding God, it is understanding the world, it is understanding yourself so that you are humble. And that humility leads to works, to actions. What sort of works? Peace with others. Have a look at verse 17. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Wisdom loves peace. It's considerate of the needs of others. It's willing to give way to the needs of others and the ideas of others. It's full of generosity and practical kindness. And none of this is pretend or hypocritical. It's sincere. Where does such wisdom come from? You see verse 17? It's the wisdom that comes from heaven. Not that it's wafting up there in the sky and somehow implants itself in your head. It comes from God. That's what that means. God gives wisdom, it says in verse 1, in chapter 1. How? Does he just implant it in your head when you ask him? No, God himself is wise. And his son, the Lord Jesus, showed his wisdom. Just think about it for a moment. He showed his humility. Being in very nature God, he made himself nothing, made himself nothing and became obedient to death. Why? To make peace. Make peace between us and God. In humility, he is the peacemaker. And so how do you learn wisdom, the wisdom from heaven? By contemplating Jesus learning from him how will you be wise by learning from jesus and these readers that james is writing to have heard this word this word has been planted in them and they need to humbly accept this word and it will show in peace It'll show in your church family, won't it? You'll practically care for each other, as we've been talking about, but you'll also be willing to talk about controversial issues. You'll be determined to talk about them, to love one another as you talk about them, and to resolve difficulties. It'll show at home. The wise person will be 
considerate about the housework and do their share. They'll try not to annoy the other people in the household. It'll show at work or at school. You will know your own mind, but you'll be willing to be persuaded. That's the humility that comes from wisdom. It'll show in your friendships. You'll be sincere and not two-faced. How will it show when you're in conflict with someone? When you're in the midst of a fight? Well, you won't just blame the other person, will you? Wisdom leads to humility. You'll own your own contribution to the conflict. And you'll do whatever you can to bring peace. Who is wise and understanding amongst you? Let him show it by the humility that leads to good works. How attractive is that? Wouldn't you love to be in a community like that? Isn't that just what we all want? Who could argue with it? But James contrasts that wisdom with another wisdom which is really no wisdom at all. Have a look at verse 14. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice what a different sort of wisdom instead of humility that comes from god's wisdom you have envy and selfish ambition you see what others have and you want it you want things your own way and you want to get ahead for your own self and get past others what does that show well verse 16 is sort of vague isn't it there you find disorder and every evil practice. What does it look like? Well, chapter 4, verse 1 makes it pretty clear. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. How would you answer that question in verse 1? What causes fights and quarrels among you? The fights and quarrels that you're involved with. Well, the silly people that I have to engage with, you might think. Their foolish way of looking at things and they don't see things from my point of view. That's what causes the fights and quarrels. But no, says James, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? your desires, your envy and selfish ambition. You can see that clearly on a world stage, can't you? Some people think that most wars come from religion, but that's a complete myth. There are a small number like that. But the vast majority of wars, where do they come from? Envy and selfish ambition. Countries and leaders want what others have and they want to take it. Power and prestige and land and wealth. And what's true on a world stage, James says, 
is true on your stage, in our church even. Surely, you say, not in churches. Fights and quarrels wouldn't happen amongst God's people in churches. You must be one of those new people here, aren't you? We love having new people here. We're so glad you've come and soon you'll learn the truth. Churches do have fights, don't they? Churches can fight over foolish things, like what clothes the minister wears or how many candles there are or whether there's a screen on the wall or what sort of music they choose or whether they build a building program or not. I was sitting around with a group of ministers one time talking about uh, things that were happening and one, one guy, they, in his church, they needed to replace the pipe organ. It was old and something had to be done. And there was a choice. They could either get an electric pipe organ or a real pipe organ. And he was telling us about the extraordinary fights, the factions that had developed on either side of this choice and how they were treating each other and speaking about each other. And he was trying to get them to treat each other properly. Were we all stunned by this? Couldn't believe that this would happen? No. The only thing we were surprised by was the price tag. A real pipe organ was $1.2 million. Is that a choice? And the other one was $200,000 for one musical instrument. We were stunned. But not by the fact that there were fights. Because worldly wisdom, envy and selfish ambition are real. And though as far as I know, there's no great fight happening in our church at the moment, on a broad level, we all struggle, don't we, with envy and selfish ambition. We envy other people's houses. We envy other people's cars in the car park. We envy other people's marriages. We envy other people's children or grandchildren. We envy other people's position in the church. When someone else gets asked to lead or serve in some way, we resent it. And it shows our envy and selfish ambition. We stop talking to them. We avoid them. With our tongues, we might snap at them or slander them, verse 11, to other people. And we can do all of that in church. And we can do all of that at home. We can do all of that at the workplace or in our friendships. It's real, isn't it? And where does such wisdom come from? Did you notice verse 15? Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, from God, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. Sometimes when there's conflict in a church or division, or sometimes when marriages break down amongst Christians, someone will say, the devil loves to cause division in God's people. And that's true, isn't it? But how does he do that? 
I've always sort of wondered, what do you think? He's up there in the sky and he just goes, zap, division, and suddenly there's division. So he got that sort of power? Is that how he works? No, I've learned now in this passage how he works. Very simply, he gives wisdom, earthly wisdom, into the hearts of God's people. Envy and selfish ambition, and that is enough. Because that causes fights and quarrels. Who is wise and understanding among you? James sets out for us two very different types of wisdom. God's wisdom, which leads to humility and peace. And the world's wisdom, which leads to envy and selfish ambition and leads to fights. What an interesting contrast. What does he want us to do, do you think? What do they want the readers, James's readers, to do? What's his point? Well, I think you can see as you read the verses that God's wisdom is described. God's wisdom leads to humility, and that humility, verse 17, is pure and peace-loving, and it leads to peace. It's wisdom described. But when he comes to the world's wisdom, he is not just describing it. Verse 14, but if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Do you see? If you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition. And chapter 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you don't they come from your desires that battle within you this is not wisdom described this time this is wisdom accused do you see he describes god's wisdom but he accuses them of earthly wisdom there is no doubt at all of which one james thinks they are showing And so what does he want them to do about it? (coughs) Repent. Admit. Turn around and come before God about it. Verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. He accuses them of worldly wisdom and calls on them to repent. But this is not for us, is it, this last bit? The language is too strong, don't you think? After all, it says in verse 2, when you don't get things, you kill. Well, we're not doing that. And this repeated barrage of commands in verse 7, it's them, yes, but not us. 
this grieve, mourn and wail. James's readers must have been very, very bad. And you do wonder, don't you, whether they were really real Christians. And we keep these words at arm's length. But did you notice in verse 8, the final double word? Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Is it that James's readers are simply just full of envy and selfish ambition? Is that the only thing they know? They don't know any better and so that's what they do. No. They know God's wisdom. They have heard the word. The word has been implanted in them. And they sometimes, I presume, show God's wisdom. They must. James thinks they are Christians. Sometimes they pursue peace, but they are also living by worldly wisdom. What does James call that? He calls that double-minded. They know one thing and they know another and they do that. Double-minded. And I hope you can see that that is you and I exactly, isn't it? We know God's wisdom, what he did for us in the Lord Jesus who became humble that he might make peace for us and we know how that should show in our lives but still in our relationships with one another and with other people in the cut and thrust of life and especially when we are in conflict with someone we harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition does it really matter though this wisdom and these petty quarrels should we really be told to submit to God, to resist the devil, to wash our hands, to purify, to grieve, mourn and wail? Isn't that a little over the top? Well, that shows, I think, that we really don't believe verse 4, do we? We really think that verse 4 has got it wrong. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Well, we think that James has got that wrong, don't we? We think that friendship with the world puts a strain on our friendship with God. We think that choosing to be a friend of the world makes things difficult between us and God and he might be a little upset by it. That's what we think, isn't it? And so we think the commands from James of how we're to react at this point are completely over the top. But read the verse again. Verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know, you do actually, that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And if that wasn't strong enough for you, if the friendship language is a bit weak, 
Have a look at the first couple of words. You adulterous people. In the Bible, God's people are the bride of God. He has made them his people and they are promised to be faithful to him and to him alone. And so literally the verse actually says, you adulteresses, do you see? Does that matter? Imagine that a husband discovers that his wife is an adulteress, is continuing her relationship with her lover. And he accuses her of this in the strongest terms and calls her to come back. And she takes his hand as she is holding the hand of her lover with her other hand. And she says to her husband, Oh dear, does it really matter? You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? When the principal of Moore College many years ago retired, Broughton Knox, he moved to South Africa to start a new Bible college in his retirement. When he finally retired properly, one of the ministers in South Africa took him out for lunch to thank him for his efforts and asked him, what was he now going to do in his real retirement? And he said, keep on repenting. Because that's what the Christian life is about, isn't it? It's not that we begin by repenting, changing our mind about sin and submitting to God, and then that's all. No, we keep on repenting. And so this morning, I hope that we can see, each one of us, the earthly wisdom, the worldly wisdom, the wisdom of the devil that is in our hearts, that we can see our envy and selfish ambition and see how it shows in our life, in our relationships and when we are in conflict in particular. And I hope we can see that it really matters. So submit yourselves then to God, says James. Resist the devil, come near to God, wash your hands, purify your hearts, grieve, mourn and wail. When was the last time that you wept? over your sin because you cared about it that much. Is there any hope for us when we were called upon to repent like this? I love verse 6. Have a look. But he gives us more grace. In God's wisdom, the Son humbled himself even to death upon a cross, so that he might make peace, so that he might cover our sin to bring us grace. But he gives us more grace, not just to cover our sin, but to overcome our sin. Do you see the promises here? 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This morning I hope that you've been called upon, called upon to not be double-minded. And I hope that you might come to God in repentance, asking that he would change you. I'm going to leave a pause now for us to contemplate that, to reflect and to come before God about our own hearts. And after that, I'll lead us in a prayer, which will be on the screen, a prayer of confession. Let's take a moment now to do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we confess our sins, knowing that you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Please help us to walk in the light and so have fellowship with you and your Son and with one another. In the name of Jesus, amen.